everyone. It's just so good to see you uh, this morning. Um, first of all, I want to start by saying thank you. The Jamba fa family is doing really well. We're doing fine. Uh, we are symptom free. We're really grateful. Thank you for everyone who's been praying. Thank you for everyone who's been sending you know, text messages or just making phone calls. We're just really, really grateful for those of you that might have stopped by and just give us some groceries. We're really, really grateful for each of you and are grateful that uh, you've been praying for us. So we are doing really well. So I just wanted to start off this week by saying thank you on behalf of our family as we will get through this and for your patience as well. Thank you for working with us uh, during this time. So we've been talking about the last couple of weeks about Jonah. We've gone through the book of Jonah, GPS. And we've been discussing um, about Jonah and about how God has been compassionate and merciful and forgiving and wanting to reach a wicked and evil people like the Ninevites. And how he even worked in chapter 1 through the sailors, the Phoenician sailors, and how they were polytheistic. They had many gods in which they looked to and they recognized that God, the creator God, Elohim, Yahweh, Adonai, as we recognize that they were looking to God in the midst of their very difficult situation. Although Jonah was running away from God, he was trying to go in the other direction, 2,500 miles. God asked him just to go 500 miles. And we understand, too, when we were talking about GPS, and we talked about the first week about what is your destination, you put in your destination box and where you're going to go. We're hoping that each one of us, as believers in Christ, would desire to have in our box to reach those who are far away from God. So it's important for us to get, just to gather along and understand that that's God's heart, that's his passion to want to reach those who are wicked and evil because we're all sinners. We can do nothing without God. We can do nothing without Christ. We can never ever pay back the debt of sin. And so God has reminded us during this time in the book of Jonah how we need to focus and reflect on his compassion and his love. So as we're looking at now of chapter Three, because we're coming out of chapter 2. We talked last week about what is your pit stop, how you're in the midst of a pit, and Jonah was in the midst, the belly of a fish, and how he had to come to the place where he was empty, and he had nowhere to turn but to God. But we recognize that it was possible that he did not repent at that point, nor did he have a changed heart, but maybe a change of situation or change of mind. Sometimes that happens with us as well. And in chapter 3, we're going to see that Jonah changes a bit. And now his reflection of chapter 3 versus chapter 1 is that we see a different person. But does it mean that he's absolutely repenting? Or who are the people in play in chapter 3 that are truly repenting? And so we want to talk about that in chapter 3. And as we do, let me just, let me just highlight back to GPS because we believe that says God's pursuit of sinners. And as I can share another story with you, again, I recall the time when I was trying to get some ice cream for my children some years ago, and as I was traveling around, I, I don't know, I just didn't know where I was at. I couldn't, I was kind of like disoriented. I didn't understand which road. I was driving through some back roads trying to get to an ice cream store. Lo and behold, I said, you know, I think I've got to put on the GPS. But I was a little concerned because when I put the GPS on, it made me go in like a turnabout. It was turning me around in circles. 
And I thought, wow, what am I going to get out of this? So I tried, I pulled over, tried to make sure I was going to the right place. And as I did, I tried to look ahead. You ever notice that when you're in GPS, you try to look ahead to see where the, where, where the directions are going? And then a box comes up that says recenter. And I thought, wow, I guess it's telling me I have to go back to where I am presently. But I wanted to see where we were going. And thankfully, the GPS did get me on the right track, and I was able to enjoy my wonderful ice cream with my children. But here's the thing, though. That recentering box kind of reminds me of where's that turnabout point. And that's what we're going to talk about today, or what's the title of my sermon, is what is our turnabout point or turnaround point? And where's that turnaround point? Sometimes God has to recenter us. You ever think about that? Like sometimes we veer off in different directions, kind of like Jonah did in chapter 1. And he veered off. He wanted to go in the opposite direction where God was calling him. Now in chapter 3, we kind of see God recentering Jonah. He was in the belly of a fish, and God put him into a difficult situation. He, he actually did the work. He caused it. And now he's recentered back. And now if we look at chapter 3, if you'll read with me, Chapter 3 is almost identical to chapter 1, but we'll see that he changes his attitude in the midst of this. So as we're recentered and we're thinking about it, let me just read with you chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And it says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. So now that's a key word, second time. You saw him there because the first time he came to him was in chapter 1. Identical, chapter 1, verse 1. But it didn't say second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh. Meaning, hey, let's recenter ourselves. I'm going to give you the same exact command as I did in chapter 1. That great city, the one that's 600,000 potential people, um, that the great city, the city that's wicked, city that's evil, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So again, it's judgment. We talked about in the first chapter how judgment, sometimes God is calling for people to repent. Then verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. So we know that that's different from chapter 1, according to the word of the Lord. So he's a prophet. He speaks the very words that God gives him, and he's acting like a true prophet now, changing from chapter 1. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Verse 4, Jonah began to go to the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So you, when you're looking at this passage, and you're first starting, you have to say, Okay, there's the recentering in verse 1. The Lord was saying, Get back to my GPS, because I want you to pursue sinners and offer them my my offering of repentance to these wicked, evil people. Now, here's where I want to share some things. This is what God is saying as he's talking to Jonah. He, I believe he's saying this. I'm still interested in this wicked city. Recenter. I'm still interested in those who are far away from me. Recenter. I'm pronouncing judgment on them, but I have a plan to redirect them. God was to bestow his compassion on those away from him. So I ask this question. What causes the universal church, local church, parachurch, or individuals to lose the passion and compassion of the laws? What causes these entities to lose their spiritual fervor to proclaim the love of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, even today? I know what slows me down in my personal pursuit to reach those who are far away from God. 
sin, selfishness, consumed with my own life, that I don't have time for others. When I say this to myself, it's not that I'm being hard on myself, but I'm telling the truth. Also, it doesn't discourage me because it's a personal challenge to deal with the issue in my life. What is it, Lord? What's stopping me from being passionate to reach others? I want the Lord to deal with it so I don't waste any time being used of Him. I want Him to recenter me because I cannot be like Jonah, but I am. Often I'm going in the opposite direction. Because the opposite direction where God wants us to go is selfishness. And yet we get so consumed in our own lives that we forget to remind ourselves that we can just be all often like Jonah. But God is giving him a recentered position. You know, a couple of years ago, I lost a, a childhood friend. He unfortunately got involved in drinking too much. He was consumed with drinking, he was depressed, got to the point where he was only 50 years old and his body was already shutting down. It broke my heart because I remember the times of spending time with him. In fact, when I wrote a book a couple of years ago, I sent him a book as a memory because I didn't know how long he was going to last. And yet he didn't last very long because within months he passed away. It broke my heart. But I shared Christ with him and I reminded him how much God loves him. And I didn't get off the phone with him when I talked to him about making sure he knew Christ. But we have to take every opportunity we can to reach out to loved ones because we don't know when is that opportunity. So here he was and God called him out. He said, you know what? You need to go back. You need to go back. You need to rise and go back. And so in verse 2, when we look at that, we see that it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, now call out against it. Interesting enough that in chapter 1 it says, the author says that the word is against, but here really the word is to also. It's to and against. It's kind of saying a call out against or to these people. In another version, NET, it's the word to. But against and to is just saying that I want to reach these people. I want to reach them as far away as they are from me. I don't want to just judge them and smite them. Remember when we said about Jonah, Jonah could have been smited, could have been killed for, for disobeying God, but instead he didn't because God was interested in reaching. So he recentered them again. And the Lord wanted to demonstrate his intention to them by saying this was important. Verse 3, it says this again, So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Well, in chapter 3, it said Jonah immediately went away. But in verse 3 of chapter 3, it says Jonah went to so we see a way and then two, the contrast of attitude and heart. But it was just for a short period of time, because I'm not sure if he still repented, because he was still struggling. But I think the people who are repenting here is really not Jonah, more than it's the others. So he accepted the mission, he was willing to obey God at this point without rebellion, and he went on. But verse 4 then says this, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out yet 40 days, and Nineveh should be overthrown. Why 40 days? To give people time. To give them a chance to recognize that they needed to repent. To realize that God was willing to still wait 40 more days because of his compassion, his forgiveness, his hope to the lost world, especially to the Ninevites of this time. 
And so the people, although they didn't repent immediately, we see that there's a transition even in verse 5. But here was the thing, if they didn't repent, then God would place his judgment upon them. Just like with the Israelites, he did that with Gentile nations. So as we understand this, when the Lord announces judgment, the greatest intention is always to offer forgiveness. Always to offer forgiveness. And so as we look at, let me just turn to Joel, Joel chapter 2. As we think about Joel chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, it says this, And rend your hearts and do, do and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Verse 14, who knows whether he will turn and relent? But leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. Meaning give everything you have to offer. Give everything that you can. Make sure when you do so, you do it with the intention of trying to come before, asking God to change his heart toward a people, because that's what they were doing. God was willing to offer his mercy and his compassion, his love. He was giving people an opportunity to repent. How often that when people do wrong to us, what do we want to do? So often I said last week, we want to condemn people, but we want God to be compassionate toward us. But if God is compassionate to those who have mistreated him, who are evil, who are wicked, how much more when people mistreat us do we need to be patient and compassionate and relentless to reach those who are far away from us? So if someone mistreats us, the first thing that should trigger from our minds and our hearts should be, how can I reach them for Christ? Rather than react and saying, how can I judge them? How can I condemn them? How can I withdraw from them? How can I get back at them? How can I retaliate? God's saying in our hearts as Christians, we need to be willing to be compassionate and merciful and gracious. But it's so hard. And if we're not repenting, confessing our sins, it's going to be hard for us to reach those who are far away. And so that's one particular verse. But in Jeremiah 18, Jeremiah 18, here's another one, Jeremiah being the weeping prophet. And he had another passage that didn't, you know, that worked out. Verse 7. I just want to share this with you. It says this. But Jeremiah said, If any, at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. So he was talking about how he's going to destroy any nation that sins against him, any nation that's going to speak against God, he's going to destroy them. But then it goes on, if, it, if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I've intended to do it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I have intended to do to it. So he intends to do good for those who obey him. But if they don't obey, then he tends not to do good, and then he's going to create disaster or destroy them. Then it goes on to say this. Now therefore says to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. So what it's saying is that God declares judgment, but he always has an intention to bring forth people back of repentance. 
Always offering a hand, an olive tree to those who are far away. But again, how often do we do that in our walk with God? And are talking with others. Let alone our brothers and sisters. If someone speaks against us, immediately we want retaliation in our hearts. Because we're thinking about ourselves rather than others. And rather than others, we need to. So now we come to verse 5. Because this week, I have to be upfront with you, this week, what is our turnabout point is really part one. We're going to talk next week about what is our turnabout point, part two. But this week we're going to talk about repentance. And here in verse 5, as you see, it's highlighted very easily, easily mentioned here, is that now here's where the response is of the people of Nineveh. It says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So now the response is clear. But we have to look at a couple of things here. First of all, we have to understand that the people believed God. And their response is something that the Lord was looking for from his own people. But at various times in the Old Testament, the Jews even refused to believe God. So Jonah didn't believe God at first. God wanted these Ninevites who were evil and wicked, who were polytheistic in nature, to look at many other gods. And yet, let's watch before the response that even God's people at time won't even believe him and refuse to. So let me look at Psalm 78, 17 through 22. It says this, Yet they, they sin still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert, the Most High God. They tested God in their heart. He's talking about the Israelites, the psalmist, by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rocks so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. So the psalmist is talking about Moses at the time he struck the rock, when he provided for the Israelites, at the time when they were going towards the land of, you know, the land full of milk and honey. But here he was explaining that they refused to obey him at this time. It says, Therefore the Lord heard he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob, and his anger rose against Israel, because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his saving power. So they understood God. They've seen God throughout their journey. But yet, in all their testing, all their trials, and all the difficulties, they still refuse to believe God. Now we're at the present narrative in Jonah, and these are people who don't really believe God, don't know God, not even being introduced by Jonah, because Jonah still doesn't introduce them to God. And he's been played out as one who's running away from God. So here's a man who's a prophet, who's a person who believes God, who is a child of God, following God, but yet doesn't even live like that. So why did the Ninevites respond differently? How come they believed God? They were desperate. They didn't have any bias. They didn't try to figure it out. They were in a very difficult place of sharing the moment. They were holding out to the rights. So then I asked the question, what is true repentance then? If they're repenting, but God shows in Psalm 78 at the time of Moses that they refuse to believe God and repent, even though they were clearly wrong and disobeying him, then what is true repentance? Well, let me tell you what it's not. Okay? Billy, uh, it's one thing is here, and before I share what Billy Graham says in his article, be, behavior modification is what it's not. We've got to understand that that's an external change. That's not an internal change. It's not a change of heart. It's not a change of mind. 
It's a pharisaical religion. It's a pharisaical Christianity where we just change on the outside, but in the inside of our hearts, we're still complaining, angry at people, wanting to retaliate, wanting to get back, putting self on the throne. Self is the, is the one that's in charge, not God. We put God under the chair. We put self on the throne, and sin and selfishness reigns. So behavior modification is definitely not the answer. We can smile, we can laugh, we can pretend that we're really loving someone, but deep down God sees that. See, what repentance also is not is self-deprecation. When we are modest about ourselves or criticizing ourselves, it's not really humility that we're showing. It's kind of a cover-up. Sometimes we do that just to put ourselves out there, but really deep down in our hearts, are we really changed? Is our heart changed? No, that's not really what repentance is. Is Billy Graham even said in an article in 2006, what is true repentance? He says, well, let me tell you what it's not. He said, first, it's not penance. It's not penance. That's number one. First, it's not penance. See, penance is a voluntary suffering of punishment for sin and does not necessarily involve a change of character or conduct. People lie on a bed of spikes or throw themselves headlong on the ground are doing penance. But this act does not mean that their guilt has been absolved. So again, it's an external change, not a bad thing to do, not a bad thing to throw yourself before God. But the heart needs to be changed and God needs to change the heart. So repentance means that it's not, it's a turnabout face. It's the changing of a mind and a heart that says, what I'm doing is wrong and I need to turn to God. Number two, repentance is not remorse. Judas was remorseful over his sin of the betrayal of the Son of God, but he swallowed regret. Led, his swallowed regret led to suicide instead of to God. Because remorse is not true repentance. So we understand that when we regret or we're remorseful towards something, doesn't really mean we're repenting. We might feel bad about something we did, but it's not really changing our heart. It's leading in a proper direction, meaning penance and remorse is a good place and a good direction to go towards, but it ultimately is not repentance. Third, repentance is not self-condemnation. Remember, we got to understand, we may hate ourselves for our sinfulness, but self-condemnation only opens up wider the wounds of guilt and despair. So we should hate our sins, not ourselves. Hate our false ways hate our vain thoughts, hate our evil passions, hate our lying, hate our covetousness, hate our greed, but never hate ourselves. Self-hatred leads to self-destruction. In fact, I think it leads to cutting, depression. It leads to so many, not only possible deaths, but it demoralizes our teens, our millennials, our Gen Z culture. Because they're looked upon and they don't care for themselves. They look at themselves in the mirror. They don't like the way they look. They have an image. They look down at themselves. And they're never encouraged or built up. See, that's truly not repentance. It's not thinking less of yourself. So it's not self-condemnation. Let me just share a little bit about the background even before we go into verse 5 here and look at it a little more intently. Here at this time in the background, in the middle of the 8th century, the people of Assyria experienced a low sense of living. Why? Because they experienced famine, they experienced enemy attacks, and internal revolts. 17, or excuse me, in 763 BC, there was a full eclipse of the sun. It was recorded. 
And the Assyrians were polytheistic, as I mentioned, and believed that one specific, specific single act could offend or result in catastrophic results. With the religious uncertainty, they wanted peace and order and were willing to humble themselves before the many gods they worshipped. So at this time, there was doubt, there was chaos, there was uncertainty. They didn't even know. So at this point, God used this time to bring Jonah at this very point in history to get them to see that their famine, all the lowness of life that they had around them, whether it be famine, whether it be the enemy attacks, that, that, that the society and the culture was down, that this was an opportunity for them to be reached by Almighty God. And so as God was using Jonah, for Jonah to now, in chapter 1, to retaliate, and now him to have to go through that whole episode to come back and to be recentered was so key with the culture. So Jonah comes back, and apparently God wanted to hit him and, and, and say, listen, you've got to reach these people. So here's the reaction. Let's just go back to verse 5 again and recognize how important for, for us to see how this message was vital, just in verse 5 alone. So here we go. Chapter 3, verse 5. It says this, And the people of Nineveh believed God. Let me stop there a second, because actually in the Hebrew, it means believed in God. Let me just stop here for just a second and say this. Now, it really, truly, we have to understand that the word God here is Elohim, it's not Yahweh. Whenever a prophet introduced a people who God is, they usually use the word Yahweh. But here was Elohim. Now remember too that Jonah's really not introducing Yahweh to them because his testimony was awful. And he was running from God, and the story was coming out, and they recognized, they heard what he was doing, and the Phoenician sailors, the word was getting out. So Jonah, although being used of God and change of mind and the mission to go there, he wasn't introducing God to them. But yet, the Ninevites were willing to believe God in the midst of all of this. They were willing to repent. But their repentance wasn't a change of heart like in salvation, their repentance was they were desperate. They needed God to deliver them from this. And so here they are. And the, the proclamation of this judgment is laid out, but God is offering them hope and mercy and grace and compassion. There's a need for repentance, the need to change the heart, a need to say we're going to trust in God. We're going to trust who God is. We're going to trust that God's going to get us out of this. In fact, the Hebrew word here is similar to what's being used in Genesis 15, 6, where it says, and he believed the Lord. See, that's a different word there now. It's not that he believed Elohim. He believed in Yahweh. So here was Abraham. He believed in Yahweh as he was speaking to him, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Or when we look in Exodus 14, 31, when Moses was sitting there at the Red Sea, it says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in Yahweh and in the servant Moses. So at that point, that was a change of heart, repentance, change of mind. There was a movement there, but with these Ninevites, they were just looking for that situation to change, kind of like I talked about last week. And so, right there we see in verse 5, they believed God. So here are three things they did. They believed God. Here's another thing they did. They called for a fast. Meaning, calling for a fast, the king of Nineveh was calling for the people 
to fast like the modern-day governor of a state. Call on the people to humble themselves and sacrifice a time to mourn and pray. So here they were, that even though they were these polytheistic people who did not really believe God and were wicked and evil, they were longing, they were desperate to look to God, even sacrifice and pray to the so-called God as Elohim, but it was really true Yahweh, as he is even recognized as. Number three, they were putting on sackcloth, which just simply means it was a coarse of cloth that was made out of goat's hair that was recognizable even for prophets and for people of God when they were mourning for the loss of someone who passed away or mourning for their sin or mourning for the, for the sin of a nation. They, it was a sign of mourning and they went before God weeping and fasting with sackcloth and ashes. So they were recognizing themselves as saying, we need God and help. So believing God was so important in the idea of repentance. Because remember what's said in these previous verses, that God would listen to those who would believe him and obey him. But how many times that when we're walking with God and we want to retaliate or we want to come against someone that hurts us or someone that doesn't speak highly of us and we're just looking for someone to encourage us, how often in our hearts we're ready to retaliate. We're never looking to ultimately look at the heart and saying, God, I need to respond differently because you've been so compassionate and loving for me. And how about reaching those who are far away from God who desperately need Christ and how they need someone to hear a message of the gospel to proclaim and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. How often we need to do that when people mistreat us. I know many people have mistreated me over the years, even family members, and I've continued to be reminded of God to return back and say you need to love them because I love them. <coughs> so it's important. For us to recognize that. <clears throat> and so, as we look at another passage in the New Testament, Acts 20, 18 through 21. And when they came to him, they said to him, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Again, Paul is speaking to the elders at the church of Ephesus. Serving the Lord with all humility, meaning I came before you, living before you with humility, with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Meaning there was persecution and difficulty and trial and tribulation, and yet I stood strong and being humble because God got me through it. The Holy Spirit was leading me. He goes, I had how I had did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house testifying to the Jews and to the Greeks, the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So there was the repentance, true repentance, and focusing on who God is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, that's what repentance is. It's turn about face, going in the other direction, looking towards God. Meaning if I'm going in one direction, I'm turn about face and going in the other direction toward God. Understanding my mind and my heart have changed toward God. And so it's important to understand that as we see that, that God is now the God of Israel who is now in the form of His Son, the incarnate Son. Now I recognize that Jesus saved me from my sin, the debt that I could not pay. So I'm going to repent, change my heart and recognize that. And God is changing our perspective and our heart and our faith changes. It's increased. We place our trust in God and what he provided for salvation. That was the message of the gospel and continues to be. And that's what Paul was preaching. Or in Acts 17, 1 through 6, it says this. Now when they had passed through 
Amphilius and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as this was his custom. And on the three days, on Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scripture, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did many of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and they taking some men from their rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason, some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Now what were they doing? How are they turning the world upside down? How is Paul and Silas on? What were they doing? They were preaching the gospel of faith and repentance. It wasn't just a message to say, change your mind in the situation. It was a message to change the heart in a life. It was to change the person who was walking in one direction and turn about face and was going to walk in the other direction toward God. What I'm saying is this, God is not bringing forth a message of repentance for us to change our minds for just a moment. God does not bring a message of repentance so we can be remorseful or we can have some self-condemnation or we can have this false humility. God has brought forth repentance so He can change our hearts, our minds, and our actions. This is what we have to understand that God is doing us. The Lord is not interested in behavior modification. He's not interested in us standing in a society and being a people of reputation. God is more interested in changing our hearts because He wants us to change the world upside down. If he's going to change our hearts, we've got to be about changing the world upside down. And that's what he wanted to do with Jonah. He's saying, Jonah, I want you to join me on a mission. And what's the mission, Lord? The mission is to reach those who are evil and wicked, who are far away from me. But wait a minute, Lord. I've got to get these things done in my life. I've got to get these things on my list. I've got all this stuff on the wall that I need to accomplish. Lord's saying, turn around. You're my messenger. You're the one who I've called out. You need to go reach someone who's far away from me. I didn't ask you to do all these things on a list. What is that, your list? I didn't call you on that list. I called you to put in your destination box. I want you to reach those who are far away from God. I've given you a message of repentance. Now go proclaim it and live it. That's what he was calling. Even in Matthew 12, 38 through 42, Jesus described even the Pharisees and their Pharisaical approach of the so-called godliness and righteousness. And he called them out and he reminded them of Jonah and the three days. Let me read to you. It says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them and said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So God, Jesus was just saying, listen, I proclaimed a message of repentance, and the Ninevites responded to me. 
you so-called Pharisees who claim to represent God and have zeal for, my, for the God of Israel are not repenting at all. You're a prideful, selfish, sinful people only interested in your own reputation, creating your own laws. We have to be careful as God's people. God's calling us to a changed heart, not for the moment. He's given us the gospel. Repentance is about a changed heart, a change of direction, where action has to follow. In fact, I want to give you this last statement. A message of change, which is the gospel, leads to a changed heart, salvation, creating a change of action, repentance. So repentance isn't just about justification. It's about sanctification, ultimately glorification. As I end with you on this is this. What repentance is not, as we found out, as we talked about, is key. But what repentance is, it starts by believing God. And it's saying, God changed my heart. Because if you and I believe God and believe in God, it's not about a moment. It's about a lifetime. It's not about a message. It's about living for a mission. God's called us for a mission to reach those who are far away from him. We are the church. We need to be the church in these moments more than ever. You know, for weeks we've been saying for, I think for about 15 months I've been with you. We've been talking about how the church is not just meeting in a building. Well, you know what? It's become true for us now. Because we're not just meeting in a building anymore. Right now, you're just watching this Facebook Live. But you know what? I've got to tell you, it's changed. Nothing hasn't changed, though. The gospel hasn't changed. Mission hasn't changed. We're called to do what he's called us to do. We have the message of faith and repentance. And I want to encourage you, continue on. Make sure you text one another. Email each other. Reach out to each other. Look for ways that you can reach out to those who are far away from God. Let me pray for you before we end our time together. Father, we just thank you that you're merciful and gracious during this time. Thank you for technology that I could even take this, this, this session so that we can talk to our people and encourage them. God, we need to be about a people of repentance. We need to be about a people who are going to have a changed heart and mind for a lifetime. We're in it to win it, Lord. We're in it to reach those who are far away. We're in it because, Lord, it's not about the moment. It's about a changed heart. So, God, change our hearts. Bring forth repentance in our hearts. Help us to reach those who are far away from you. Give us a mission much clearer than ever, Lord, more clear than ever to be able to reach those who are far away from you. God, we're so grateful to you. Continue to encourage our hearts this week. Challenge us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.